Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, January the 15th, in the year of our Lord, 2024. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we are going to be doing a lesson today that I have never done in a sermon, in a Bible study, in adult instruction, or anywhere. Because as I was reading through the readings for this third Sunday after the Epiphany, which will occur on January the 21st, I ran across one that didn't seem to make any sense to me. I could have stayed with the Old Testament reading, which is from Jonah chapter 3, after he was spit out of the stomach of the great fish, he went to Nineveh, he preached there, and the whole town believed and were saved. Or I could have preached about the gospel from Mark chapter 1, where Jesus uses Simon and Andrew and also James and John, his brother, as disciples. And there's a lot that could be said about that. But what caught my attention was the epistle for today, or this coming Sunday, from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 29. Now, I, I want to read, because it's only three verses long, but boy, I wasn't sure what it was talking about. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Well, what does that mean? What is the Apostle Paul talking about here? Uh, the first one really struck me. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. Does that mean that he's giving an okay to leaving your spouse or having a divorce, living as though you were not really married? What is Paul talking about here? And so what I do on Sunday nights before I go to sleep, I always read the three readings for the following Sunday, which I'm going to talk about on Monday. And then when I lie down in bed, I can think quite a long time, well, what am I going to say about these three readings? And you know me, I always want to say something that is new and something that really is helpful to people. 
And I could figure that out with Jonah and the calling of the disciples. But I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with the epistle. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. And as I'm thinking about this, lying down in bed, it suddenly struck me, possibly, what the Apostle Paul is getting to. You see, we as Christians are really of two kingdoms. We're of the kingdom of the state, which includes family, neighbors, etc., And we're also the kingdom of heaven called the Holy Christian Church. Now that kingdom of heaven expands beyond our life here on earth. It also is talking about heaven. And in my mind, it is very difficult for a pastor to describe what heaven is like. The more I think about it, the bigger the headache I get. Because I can't figure out what heaven is going to be like. I've got some general ideas right from the Bible that those of us who go to heaven are going to be living in bliss. But what does that mean? Uh, For example, if you go to the Concordia Seminary in St. Louis Gymnasium, my picture is on the wall in both tennis and ping pong. I won the championship in ping pong one year, so they put my picture up there. Well, I'll tell you, when I play ping pong, I'm really happy when I win the point. But when I lose a point, I'm not happy at all. So I'm trying to think, are there going to be sports in heaven? Are we going to be able to play ping pong in heaven? And if we're playing ping pong in heaven, how do I know that I'm going to be in bliss all the time when I lose a point? Or am I never going to lose a point? But that would mean that the person I'm playing against, he or she loses points. So it's really difficult to understand what it means to be in bliss when it comes to heaven. If we're talking about what are we going to be doing in heaven? It's kind of interesting that when I eat, boy, I love McDonald hamburgers or Burger Kings or Dairy Queens or these kinds of things. But right now, I'm going through a time in my life where I'm supposed to be on a diet and not eating much red meat. Now, why is that? Well, not long ago, I got a call from one of my doctors, it was really from his nurse, and all she said was, get to the emergency room ASAP. Now, I had had a blood test prior to that, 
and I had no idea why they wanted me to go to the emergency room. So I called back to find out why. And my potassium level was high. Well, I didn't know what potassium was. So I went to the hospital. They did some tests. And within a week, my potassium level went down. Now, part of that occurred because while I was at the hospital, I had the opportunity to talk to a dietitian, and she was very good in telling me what food I should be eating and how I should be eating it. Because a lot of times when you have one kind of illness or another, they're not telling you not to eat but how much to eat. So I tell you when my favorite meal is White Castles. And remember the old days where you go to a White Castle restaurant, you could get 10 White Castles for a dollar. Oh, did I love that. And then I was taking care of a two congregations about 200 miles from St. Louis some years ago. And on the way home, I ran past a pizza store. And one day I stopped in there because they had a pizza on sale, they said. It was a thin crust pizza filled with cheese and wonderful meat on top. Well, I got that pizza, and it was a big pizza, but it was only about $8. And I got back in my car, and I enjoyed the next 200 miles going home, eating that pizza, drinking Coca-Cola, just having, like, heaven on earth. Well, guess what? With my new diet... I'm not allowed to have pizza. Why? Because pizza is made with ketchup, which has a lot of potassium in it. And I'm supposed to be keeping my potassium levels down. And so if it were not for my wife, who knows how to cook all kinds of good meals, boy, I would really be disgusted with the rules from the doctors about what I should eat, what I shouldn't eat. This may be only for a short time until they figure out what's really going on in my body. For, for example, not that long ago, the doctors were telling me that I had to have heart surgery uh, to replace a valve, I believe it was. And so one day I was at the hospital and I met with five doctors. We were all in the same room and we were talking about what had to be done. And so I asked them what's their suggestion. And they said I had to go to the hospital and have my chest opened up, uh, replace what was necessary for my heart, and the first question I asked was, well, how long am I going to be down? 
because I was on KFUO five days a week, as I still am, on issues, etc. one day. I was taking care of four congregations, and I was doing newsletters. Really kind of enjoying all of that. And the doctors looked at me and said, well, if you go through this particular surgery, you would be needing bed rest for about a month and a half. And I said to them, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that. I've got too many other things that I'm responsible for, these congregations, radio programs, etc. Is there not another way to take care of this heart problem? And there just so happened to be a doctor there among the five of them. And he was quite cognizant of a surgery they were doing in Germany. It was that they didn't open up your chest, but they went through your leg up to your heart and replaced what was wrong. Well, I asked him, would they be able to do that? He said, well, just up until a few years ago, they would not do it with someone unless they were over 80 years old. I said, well, how come? He said, because if you were over 80 years old, having your chest opened would be a real problem. You could die from it. So they were using this leg technique. But in the past few years, they were becoming experts at it. So they were able to do it for younger pe people like myself. Well, I said, well, how long will I be down with this surgery? And the doctor looked at me and he said, overnight. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you'll have the surgery and then you'll probably be able to go home the next day and be back at work. Well, guess which one I chose. Instead of having my chest opened up and being down, I took the other surgery on the leg and he was an excellent doctor. I was still visiting with him until recently where I don't have to see him except every six months and things are doing wonderfully. Well, this got me thinking. It got me thinking about what's heaven going to be like? Are we not going to have any depression, sadness, grief, death? And the answer to that is no which got me thinking about my diet. While I'm not really able to eat much red meat right now, I can eat a lot of items that are vegetarian. And I've been very surprised how many kinds of vegetables there are that really can taste good if they're done properly in cooking or in mixing with other items that are not a negative towards the body. 
And it got me thinking about heaven. I don't have any idea what heaven is going to be like. Because when I was younger, eating those White Castles, I thought about, boy, I can hardly wait to get to heaven where I can have all the White Castles I want. But I don't think we're going to have any White Castles in heaven because they come from meat. And there is no death in heaven. How do I know that? Because when Adam and Eve were created, where did God put them? He put them in the Garden of Eden. Did they eat meat then? No. They had the fruit on the trees, and I'm sure vegetables they ate but they did not eat meat. That didn't come about until later on, after they fell into sin. It's very clear from the Bible, if you take a look at the book of Revelation, that what is found in the book of Revelation is the wonderful fountain of life but there is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There will be no Satan. In other words, when we go to heaven, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. And I don't have any knowledge about the Garden of Eden. I mean... Adam and Eve were in bliss. They did not have to do work. But what does that mean for food? Now, it is clear we will be eating and drinking in heaven because Jesus says that during the Last Supper. Isn't it interesting that if you take a look at the Bible, the Last Supper which would have been the Passover, there's no mention of a lamb, which the disciples and Jesus were eating. Why was that? Because Jesus was the Lamb of God, who, as John the Baptist says, had come to take away the sins of the world. In other words, what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is talking about is that we should live as though we are part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven right now. We should be in bliss in whatever is happening. Remember, in heaven... There will be no giving or taking in marriage because Jesus says we're going to be like the angels. The angels are not multiplied because they give birth to other angels. No, there's a set number of angels, good ones and bad ones. The bad ones destined for hell, the good ones for heaven, along with the believers in Christ. 
So what I believe that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 7 is to begin to recognize that we are part of the kingdom of God, not only going to heaven, but that heaven can be here on earth. In other words, let those who have wise live as though they had none. Let those who mourn as though they were not mourning. That happens at funerals. As those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, like I won a ping pong point. And those who buy as though they had no goods. Adam and Eve didn't have any goods. They didn't need to work for money. In fact, according to the book of Revelation, the streets of heaven are paved in gold. And so what Paul is talking about is you ought to have an attitude recognizing that you are part of the kingdom of God, not only here on earth in the secular realm, but also in the holy realm of the holy Christian church. Now, I've seen that recently. You know, I I love watching YouTube. And one of my favorite programs is Cops. And they begin each issue with a policeman in his car rushing to a situation where maybe there's a shooting going on or there's a big argument between a husband and a wife. He might have to arrest one of them, etc. But if you've got YouTube or you know how to listen to cops, I want you to turn it on. Because in the first minute of every cop's, they had the policeman himself talking. And what are they talking about? They're talking about their life as a policeman, how much they really love it. They look forward to going to work every day. And some of them will even give the reason why. Because they're there to help their neighbor. And I've really been impressed on how a number of the policemen talk with criminals that they catch. They may get somebody going over the speed limit by 40 miles an hour, and they don't get out and say, oh, you're a terrible sinner. I'm going to give you a big ticket. No, you know what they say? How are things going? And they try to get inside the head of the individual that they're about to arrest in order to comfort him. And I I can't believe how many times the police give them advice. Like many a time they find drugs in the car and they do arrest them for that. They put handcuffs on them. And it's always surprising to me that when the handcuffs are going on, 
that the people just don't turn around and start beating up the policeman. Because the policeman is saying things in a very nice way, even to the person that he's arresting, saying that things can get better if you start being on drugs. It suddenly hit me that that's what I'm like as a pastor. I love waking up in the morning. The first thing I want to know is that I'm alive. And the second thing I want to know, just as importantly, is that my wife Louise is alive because of the way she takes care of me. And when those two things are really understood, then I'm ready to not mourn, not to rejoice over my things, not to buy as though I have no goods. It is amazing to me how God takes care of the Christian, how all things work together for our good. That's his promise. That's what law and gospel is all about. Don't try and get on God's good side by obeying the law because you'll never be able to do it. You'll never have the right motivation. Until you have faith in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit gives you the proper motivation to obey the will of God out of thankfulness because it's as though we have wives as though we had none. We don't mourn as we need to. We don't have to rejoice over our successes. We don't have to buy as though we had no goods. And we don't have to deal with the world because we really have no dealings with the world as we do with Jesus Christ. Tremendous passage, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 29 to 31. That's what it's going to be like in heaven. I have no idea what it's going to be like, but it's the garden of Eden for us. I'm Tom Baker, join me tomorrow for the hymn God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. 
We are the messenger of good news worldwide KFUO.